But I remember I went to every middle school dance, every formal, and I never forgot to break it down. <laughs> hey, and welcome back to today's episode of Not Your China Doll, the podcast featuring 25-year-old Asian-American women who share their stories of growing up in 21st century America. Even though there's a connection between our race and our gender, our individual experiences are what make each episode so different. My name is Samantha Chant, and I'm your host. Today, I have one of my closest friends joining me. I met Grace back in college, where we bonded over the fact that we were one of the few Asian Americans at Franklin and Marshall. Because of our mutual love for Asian food, we often went on pho and sushi dates together. But I think we got especially close about three years ago when she moved to Baltimore to work at Johns Hopkins. From there, our food adventures eventually expanded to finding the best ramen shop in the DMV. I don't know if I ever told Grace this, but her friendship came at a really vital time in my life. Without a real job and still living at home, I was also in the beginning stages of what ended up being a year-long breakup with my boyfriend of six years. Grace's love and company reminded me what it felt like to be wanted and cared for. And as I think you'll hear for yourself, there's just something truly captivating about Grace. She has also been there for me since the very beginning of this podcast. Uh, She was the very first and very rough interview. And I honestly don't think this project would be where it is now had she not listened to my many hours of stressing. And despite her busy schedule as a research assistant while simultaneously getting her master's degree in public health, I really appreciate that Grace still makes time to visit me every weekend here in D.C. So Grace, I don't really know anything about public health, but can you tell me a little bit more about your job? So my job is very interesting because I think it's kind of transitioned along the way. But um, I've done a lot of different things throughout the job. So I've ran a little bit of my own analyses, which has um, involved a component of measuring injection drug user spirituality and um, seeing how it affects their mortality rate in the future. And so I saw a linkage between, you know, if you are more spiritual, the higher the survival rate of this population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how does religion tie in your own life? I think I grew up in a very religious household. I think my family, um, immediate and extended, are very religious. We're all very Christians. Um, I have a lot of pastors in the family who run big churches. So I grew up in a very big church foundation. So my dad was a pastor, and I think told you this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a pastor slash professor in uh, divinity. Um, but he also passed away when I was young. And so I think after... I would say about, like, high school, I kind of stopped going to church. I mean, not necessarily because it had anything to do with, like, my father's death or anything, but, like, life got busy because my, you know, I grew up in a very um, single-parent home, so, you know, my mom was very busy just trying to take care of us, so church wasn't really, like, a thing we thought about later on in life. It was just kind of, like, getting through the regular routine of things. So I'm a very like philosophical person. I love looking at deeper meaning of life, living, and so this project was actually really perfect and the fact that I can like incorporate that part of me into this um, project so I could still make it my own. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me about um, those injection drug users that you, you interview? 
Yeah, no, that's like actually one part of my job that I absolutely love. Oh, really? Because, um, so there's a lot of stigma on drug users, right? Everyone mm -hmm. thinks that they're junkies and that, um, you know, people choose to inject drugs with their lives. So why should the rest of the population care about them? Right. So we work with um, inner city Baltimore population and um, Baltimore has a very big heroin problem. Mm -hmm. So most of our IV users are uh, heroin users. And um, a lot of them are a little bit older. They've been injecting probably for like 20 to 30 years. I do get some younger people in there. But I think that addiction itself is just so hard. You get trapped into the addiction. Addiction has control over you. And so for me, I don't know. I feel for them a lot. I think that... Um, a lot of them didn't choose the lifestyle that they were given. They grew up in environments that didn't necessarily provide them, you know, with the resources to thrive. You know, they, mm -hmm. they grew up with mothers and fathers who were junkies or who are HIV positive, you know. And I think being in certain environments doesn't allow you to achieve what you were meant to do. So in a lot of ways, my job interviewing them has been really rewarding because I get to see their human side, you know, that they are still you know, good people just because you use drugs doesn't mean that you're... That's all you are. That's all you are. And that, like, that's the thing. When people start really young, they can't ever get off of it. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many people that go on treatment for it and things like that. But, you know, they just relapse or the power, the drug has the power over them and they can't yeah. do anything. So um, I've learned a lot from it, but I've also learned that, you know, everyone... No matter who you meet in your life, you always—they've all already like connected with you on so many ways on a human level. Yeah, and I think people forget that, and people, um, everyone kind of distances themselves or creates these gaps within each other. But there's so many things you can relate to with anyone from any walk of life. Yeah, and I think my job has helped me to kind of like also bridge that with me and them um I just love working with them because it's like they're the fun crazy people that I need at work I sometimes feel like I relate to them a lot more than I do <laughs> with the workers the people who are actually in public health yes it's it's the weirdest thing so without giving any names are you allowed mm -hmm. to like tell me maybe a story or you know one person's experience that really like kind of stuck out to you yeah so um there's a lot of interesting people, and I remember there was this one younger girl that came in. She's probably around 25, our age, mm -hmm. and she's really beautiful. She has long brown hair, like beautiful personality, you know, and she was like commenting on my outfit, and she's like, oh girl, you got a really cute outfit on, and I'm like, thanks girl, and like, you know, we just like going on. Hit it off. Yeah, we hit it off, um, but you know, I was like, there was like something wrong with her hand, she had like a bandage over her fingers and I was like um what's going on with that and she was saying how oh she got bad dope so she had to amputate her finger and it just like wow and I was just thinking wow that's how much this drug has power over you because you know she's tried all her other veins so she starts going into her fingers because not all of her veins are like taking in the drugs so I was just kind of like, wow, you know, you're so young. And, mm -hmm. like, if this is, like, where you're starting off, I can't see where you might be in the next 20 years. And yeah. so, I, you know, I try to be 
I think she knows that too. She like a lot of these drug abusers know that they have a habit. They know that they're like they tell me all the time. They're like, oh, I'm a fuck up. I'm a crazy fuck up. And I'm like, no, you're not a crazy fuck up. But there's a way out of it if you want to. But I know it's not easy for them. But I think I relate related to her a lot because. Um, she was just like you know one of us like a normal yeah. average like 20 year old girl but like in such a different situation than us mm-hmm. so what made you get into public health is that what you studied in undergrad it is it is um, public health is a very it's a service job right yeah it encompasses such a bigger pool like medicine for example if you want to be a medical doctor it's a lot of individual care individual maintenance like how you how you can help one person help You have your better. individual patient. Individual patients. But public health is such a big cohort population. It's like so many people at one time. Yeah. And You're trying and to find like the bigger issue. The bigger issue. Bigger picture. And that's what I really like about public health because it's like when you look at the bigger picture, the symptoms and the causes of a disease or something isn't as clear as you think it might be. And I like the idea of investigating that there is a bigger picture problem, that if we fix that, then we can help these other smaller problems or mitigate them yeah. from, like, getting, getting bigger. Because I think that there's so many problems in this world, but yeah. going into public health, you get to be a part of at least trying to be investigating what you could do to kind of fix the problem. navigate or fix the problem or even just find the problem. Yeah. Yeah. What is it about, like, going out, having a time that just, like, gives you life? It's the people, man. The people? Yeah, I mean, um... What kind of music do you like to listen to? Like, oh, what kind of what kind of club is, like, your type of club? I like my hip-hop. Hip-hop? Yeah, everybody knows I like my <laughs> hip-hop. I'm the girl driving on the freeway <laughs> with, like, um... Like some good, some good Chris Brown, some good old school Biggie, um, like the crazy stuff that you would not want any little children to hear. <laughs> that dirty stuff. Like I was just listening to Show Me while I was driving here, and it was like a really nice day outside. The windows down, and uh-huh. like he's talking about putting my panties down. There's kids walking on the crosswalk, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> children, cover your ears. So then I have to like pull up my window slowly. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. But you're not sorry. But then when I turn that corner, <laughs> windows back down. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's not like, show me what you got. <laughs> I remember I went to every middle school dance, every formal, and I never forgot to break it down. <laughs> and I don't know where it comes from, but it's funny because my brother's the same way. We're both, like, very rhythmic and, like, we love, like, good music. We listen to, like, hip-hop, R&B. That's, like, our major stuff. But it's a soul thing. You know, you're born with the rhythm. So, um, I don't know where it came from, girl. <laughs> but, like, um, I'm just also just a very, I think, I love the arts. I love the music. Um, I think I'm a very, I'm a very sensitive soul. Like, I very much... Um, recognize subtleties in humans and music and the environment um, and you it's like everything's in the subtleties mm-hmm. you know um, that's where all the magic is 
if you can't catch it in the rhythm, if you can't catch it in like the slight hues and the brightness and the contrast like of anything, then you're missing the whole picture because it can only be this grand scheme of a composition if you know like all the little things that go into it. Yeah. Like when you listen to a song, listen to all the little instruments that go into it that make it so amazing. That's where like you can drop it at the bass. That's where you can know how to snap. It's all in that like rhythm and background and the subtleties. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny because, like, when I listen to music, uh-huh. yes, that stuff obviously is important because, like, I don't want to listen to a song with bad rhythm or bad beat, but I listen to, like, the lyrics and I listen to, like, the main things first. Oh, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. To me, like, uh-huh. if even if the, the instrumentals are great, that, uh-huh. that obviously helps. Uh-huh. But if I don't connect to the song because, like, I don't, you know, logically or reasonably understand, like... Uh-huh. You know, I think in the end, that's kind of why I don't want to say I don't like R&B or I don't like hip hop is because, you know, I don't necessarily like connect with like panty dropping lyrics. It's funny, too, because I agree with you. You know, sometimes I love like these new hip hop jams that come on. But so I'm like, you know, jamming out to it. But then you listen to the lyrics. What the? did they just say you know so it's like I understand that what they're saying is like really bad but I'm like it's like my guilty pleasure you know it's like yeah I know you're talking about dropping my panties but your rhythm's on point (laughs) um and I just like hip-hop because there's like this underground cool story to it right it's like rooted in um you know street culture um it's like you know a lot of people are in hip-hop are looked up to because they don't necessarily grow up from like you know the white collar neighborhoods they're like the few people that make it in these like worlds that you know are suppressed and not suppressed but but struggling struggling and you don't get to thrive and you know they're like almost underdogs of the music world yeah you know they're like the people that made it with what their skills are yeah so how do you balance your work side with your play side it's been really hard because I haven't been able to connect with a lot of people in my office jobs. So, yeah. you know, in order to kind of fulfill the other fun part of me, I definitely, you know, take advantage of like our happy hours and, you know, on the weekends, I never come home. <laughs> never come home. But home I mean, is at my apartment. <laughs> it is. It's either your apartment or like, you know, our friend Evelyn's apartment. Um, or my friend Lindsay's, I'm always out and I think I need that because I don't get to, like, be my crazy self at work. Because if I was my crazy self at work, I don't know if I would make it. (laughs) So is public health something that, um, like, your mom wanted you to do? I don't know. I don't really know. I think my mom honestly wanted me to be a doctor, but she kind of gave up because, like... (laughs) She was like, I don't even know what this girl I know does. what that feels like. <laughs> She's like, I don't even know what this girl does in college. <laughs> I don't even like, know what I'm paying for. I was for. like, Mom, I joined a sorority. <laughs> she was like, what is that? <laughs> but, I mean, I loved the whole, like, social aspect of it. So, mm-hmm. it really helped. So, I think my social life took a bigger scene. And so, my academics didn't <laughs> always get, you know, first priority in college. Yeah. And so my mom would, you know, very much be like, you know, you should go into something that's going to, like, be successful. And she knows that I'm, like, I guess, love 
being with people and connecting on that level. So she just kind of assumed maybe that one day I would be a doctor or something. But then I think overall she realized, like, this girl ain't going to make it to med school. <laughs> <laughs> What's studying? <laughs> she ain't going to make it. So I think, like, she wanted me to do something that was a value in society. Um, and... I think I kind of took that into consideration too because I'm like, you know, I'm still getting a four-year degree. I don't want to just get it into nothing. So it was like a good middle between like getting a job that, you know, was still probably going to help me out in the future with career stability, but also it's going to, like I would definitely, I see myself working for like a nonprofit, running nonprofits or like designing the environment or, you know, creating things to benefit people is how I see myself envision my future and I don't know exactly what that is but um, medicine and law is a little too stringent (laughs) for my taste (laughs) there's been times where we've had like frat parties and like we would take the mattress out onto the balcony and like 10 girls would be jumping on a mattress in the balcony and (laughs) I don't even know why we were doing that but we were just like so drunk and that was a good time for us so looking back I'm like that was really stupid yeah but I know in the moment you were having fun I was having a good time I'm sometimes interested actually in more of a risky situation I love like a little bit of the thrill and like um that's like opposite of me yeah I love a little thrill and I love the mysterious so I just love wanting to know what you're about and you might not be the best thing but I'd still like to find out like that's my mentality in a lot you like that adrenaline rush I do I do um that's your that is your drug (laughs) that is and that's why I get myself into I think a lot of these situations and and that's why when I work with my drug users like I I understand sometimes like (laughs) why you do the shit that you do because I would do the same thing (laughs) so how do you like Baltimore um you know, I've kind of grown to like it. There's been ups and downs. Uh, I think it was a huge new transition move for me because... How long have you been here for? Almost two years now. Okay. Um, I've left everything I know, dropped it, and came here to live really by myself. Um, granted, it's really not far from home, but when I say drop everything, I mean that my friends, my life that I was comfortable with, my family... Um, and a lot of my relationships, I would say, which was really hard on me being a people person, always with people constantly. So it really affected me when I first got here because I was very alone and lost, but um, it also allowed me to get out there and really explore the city and like do a lot lot of things on my own because it's like, well, if no one's gonna go with me, it's not like I'm gonna sit in my home, so I'm gonna go. (laughs) So I was like, I. I'm also a big like explorer, so I um, so I got to find pieces of Baltimore that I really do like, and um, I do like that there's like quirky neighborhoods in Baltimore, and every neighborhood has like a different personality. So depending on like your mood or what you want to eat that day, you go to those different places to fill those needs. So those parts I love about Baltimore. What's your favorite neighborhood in Baltimore? I really love Mount Vernon. Um, it's like the cultural art district. It's where a lot of ethnic food is, cute coffee shops, um, the arts museum is. There's just like a little bit more going on. Um, but I also really do like Fells Point. I love being by the water, running right along the waterside. So I think those two are my favorite. 
So you're from Pennsylvania, and you also mm-hmm. lived in New York. So how is Baltimore different from any other city? Huh. There is a lot of con- contention here. You feel it walking in the streets. Um, I don't necessarily feel the safest here, and I think that was what struck me the most living here, is that you hear about a lot of things in Baltimore in the news, and it's not that much quite different than what I'm actually experiencing. Yes, there's a lot more to Baltimore than what you see, but I don't necessarily feel that people are very open to talking about a lot of contentious issues. For example? Well, for example, when the riots happened here, it was a really weird time for me because I remember being at work. I was the only Asian girl, and half of the staff was black and half of the staff was white. And I remember it was a very sensitive time when the riots were happening because um, I would say a lot of our black employees were a little bit more of the lower positions. Like they were the community health workers. They were the ones um, running the show for the administrative white people. So there was this like lack of imbalance also in that way. not in the numbers, but in, I guess, the roles that they had. So there's already this like political hierarchy. Um, I don't think it's intentional, but that's just kind of how it was. And I think because of that, it also stemmed a little bit of hate. And I just remember because I was probably, I'm thinking now, the only other Asian in that office. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember this one African-American guy coming out to me, talking to me about how white people are so disrespectful and going off about how, like, you know, the riots are going on right now, but, you know, can you blame them for doing that? Can you blame the black community? For, like, acting out. And he his excuse was, like, you know, it's, like, it's that thing, it's, like, why do black people always have to explain themselves, you know? Like, why do we always have to come out and say that we didn't do it because of X, Y, and Z? Why is it always, like, you know, have to be proved? And he's like, white people can never just, like, take it as it be. Mm-hmm. And I remember I kind of, like, related to him in a lot of ways in that because I think being a minority, you know, you do always have to, like, kind of prove yourself, say something that, like, resonates with them or else it doesn't matter. Yeah. But I did feel really uncomfortable because at the same time, I'm not black, you know? I don't I don't really, you know, relate to the what he was going through the same way. He yeah. was telling me he talked to his kids about race and how, you know, they should go about it. But I also remember a white lady coming up to me being very scared and saying stuff like, why are we, like, why is this going on? It's not a big deal. I don't know why that community is acting up. So it was interesting to hear both sides, and I it's funny because you can clearly tell there's, like, separate cultures that just don't understand each other. Yeah. And being Asian, it's almost like you're this backboard mm-hmm. where people kind of can bounce these ideas off of you thinking it's okay. Yeah. But in fact, like, what if I was part of, you know, what if my mom was working in downtown during the riot, you know? Like... That makes a difference on how I respond. But at the same time, people don't consider these things, I think, when they're talking to Asian Americans because they think that we're just kind of neutral and we agree with kind of whatever they're going to say. Right. So was your hometown very different from Baltimore? 
yes, very, very different. You definitely did get, like, a tight-knit community feel. Like, everyone in Quaker Town, like, has each other's back, which I really kind of liked. Um, for example, like, my friends and I would always carpool together to school in the mornings, and we'd take turns, like, um... For, like, field hockey practices, moms would take turns taking all of us home, like, making sure we were all fed and healthy. Um, so everyone just had each other's back, and I was the only, I think, Asian-American girl, I wouldn't say in my school, but maybe in my graduating class, I was one of three, something like that. Like, was that weird or different or anything, or did you not notice? I mean, everyone knew we were the, the Korean family, mm-hmm. and... You know, to be honest, I don't think I really liked that. I don't think I liked standing out because, like, in high school, all you really want to do is fit in. So um, everyone definitely knew who I was. And I would say I am lucky that I did get a very good experience through my high school. Um, I always had a lot of friends, um, and I think it helped being in a sports team. It helped being in a small community. Um, I mean, I went to football games on Friday nights with my friends, and, like, we would cheer them on in our field hockey kilts. So I went to a... I had a very, very American traditional high school experience. We would walk to Rosemary's on Saturdays to get ice cream with the the neighborhood crew, and then at nighttime we would all play manhunt together and kickball. I grew up, you know, in a white community, but I'm also very unconventional in the fact that, like, I didn't grow up in a traditional Korean home either. Okay. So. What is a traditional Korean home? You know, I didn't grow up with a mom, dad, dad working outside the house, like, speaking Korean, always having Korean dinners, like, you know, going to church every Sunday, kind of, you know, the Korean community lifestyle, you know, I I still grew up with a single mom. Um, She worked at a white American diner, you know, that is very different than the traditional Korean kid. Right. Um, and I, growing up, played field hockey. My brother played soccer and football for a white town. It just sounds like the way that you talk about, like, the inclusivity. Mm-hmm. And you think of Baltimore as, like, very divided. Yes. It's so different. That is really hard to transition to here because maybe it's the big city thing that, you know, city life is just always going to be a little bit more strifling and um, aggressive and a lot of more, like, unintended contact with people rub each other the wrong way kind of thing but um it's definitely like a fend for yourself kind of mindset out here a little bit more um granted I don't I'm not super involved in anything right now outside of work and school but I don't feel that I can go to my next door neighbor and ask him to help me fix my tire whereas in my hometown anyone would volunteer to kind of help me So I do feel very isolated and I sometimes, I think I'm generally a nice person, but I think that comes from also living in the way I grew up. So when, when I meet a lot of like Baltimore people here, I think they generally think like I'm a very friendly and nice person. And I think, yes, that is part of me, but I also think it's just like part of my upbringing and like where I used to grow up in. Right. More than my personality. That's just what you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's different. So do you feel like you have a good support system, though? I have really good friends, and I'm very blessed to say that I do. That's one thing that I think a lot of people take for granted. Um, Yeah, they're my biggest support system. I don't really have, like, this strong family that financially supports me or emotionally supports me. I never had that, really. Um, So a few friends that I'm really close to kind of, you know, make sure that, you know, they're always like, Grace, no matter what you do, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And I think that means a lot more than actually, you know, giving me advice on what I should do next. Yes. Well, I've always told you that if something happens, you always have a place to stay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like little things like that actually mean a lot more to me than 
um, like you should do that yeah. or this is the right decision. Yeah, and I'm glad, and I think I have good friends where they're like, you know, no matter what you do too, I'll support you. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that your father passed away when you were pretty young and then that you lived in a single, uh, your mom raised you on her own and everything. So what was that like growing up? Um, it was, I'm not gonna lie, it was really difficult because my mom probably was never really home. Um, I think she came home like dinner time-ish, but like, I mean, she's working full time, like probably sometimes seven days a week. She barely had time to really even relax. So it wasn't even like, we had family dinners, but I would say there was not a lot of content or like, we didn't really update each other about our lives for that. It was a lot of like, managing busy schedules and just kind of get like getting day by day so what together. did your mom do um so my mom's it's a long story with that one too um but my mom's always worked even when my dad was alive and actually she was the person who was um the main worker in the family while my father finished school at the time so she used to run a dry cleaners business but then after my ba- my father passed away we like moved a couple of times and um, she used to work for this one business, but it got shut down by the EPA, and it really screwed her over because she didn't really have a lot of options at that point. So then she started waitressing, and then it was quick money, you know, it got food on the table. She could like pay our payments, like fast money, everything was coming in at the right time. So um, she did that for, I think, about 10 years after that. Wow. So you said that you know, you'd, your friends are your biggest support system, but that, like, your family isn't really. Um, so are you close with your family? Uh, I am, as in my brother and my mom are probably all I have, mm-hmm. you know, so in that way we are really close. Like, we've only had each other growing up. Um, but emotionally and, you know, a lot of my personal areas, I don't necessarily think they know a lot about what's going on. And I think that... They don't necessarily get me. We've, I've grown up in a totally complex world now where our, my life is so not aligned with my brothers and my moms, you know. I've had this, like, amazing experiences, and, like, part of it is, like, you know, because of my mom. Like, she's been supporting me financially and stuff to get through college and things like that. But um, she also, you know, hasn't been around to see what I do and you know, how I, how I go about my daily life anymore. So there's like a little bit of, I think, a disconnect on, on what I'm doing to them. Most of my childhood, she was working. Um, and I don't really actually remember seeing her a lot at home even during my, during when I was growing up. And so there was a lot of things that bothered me about that because, um, I think my mom just kind of assumes that she knows a lot about me, Mm. but you know, she has, the thing is, she was never around, so it just makes me mad sometimes that, like, she assumes I'm this certain way, when it's like, you don't know. You don't what actually I, know. You don't actually know. You haven't really been around. You never asked the right questions, and you've sometimes, you know, shut me out, and you would always come home and, like, whatever your stresses were throughout the day, like, put that on me. So, like, I feel like, in the end of the day, we both love each other, but, um... There's a lot of things that, like, we haven't really talked about, and, like, we've always, you know, brushed under the rug. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of resentment there, too, and... Um, resentment of what? Just, 
my how my mom's like treated me in the past and how um there's just been a lot of moments where things got out of hand mm. and um I, I sometimes want to forgive her for it, but, you know, I can't. <laughs> and, like, I know I'll come around it one day, but, um, like, I don't, I don't think now is the time, kind of. And I think she feels the same way, and we both rather play this, like, happy game of, like, everything's fine for now, because I think we both know it's, like, really painful to bring it all back up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is hard when you're a, when you grow up from a single home family because, um, you know, you respect your mom a lot more because she has to play both roles, right? So there's a lot more credibility there that you kind of owe her. But um, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything's been fine for you. And there's this like fine line of like doing what you want to do and like pursuing what you want to do, but at the same time like almost making her happy too because she sacrificed a lot for the lives like my brother and I have now. And I know that we wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for my mom. Yeah. So do you mind telling me about your dad? Uh, sure. So um, my dad was a pastor and he was... He was a pastor, and he was also um, getting his PhD for divinity um, to do, like, counseling and et cetera in um, divinity. So we ended up, our family traveled a lot for that, and um, he came to Wake Forest to take on a job there for his, like, I think, track to become a professor. Um, But while we were there, he, he got diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer really randomly so um I just remember like everything happened so fast I was I was eight when this happened um and within a matter of like a year everything was over like my dad got diagnosed and slowly after he um couldn't get treated it was too late and you know he passed away really quickly so um so yeah, my dad has been out of the picture for a while, but growing up actually like, you know, my dad was the one at home while my mom worked and that's always been the case. Um, while my dad finished school, my mom helped support our family. So for the longest time, it was just my dad and me and my brother. Um, so I think when he passed away, it was like a really big transition because I think that I was always with my dad. And when you lose that, it's like really hard to kind of, I think as a kid, understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, do you think that changed your relationship with your mother? A little bit. I think, I think that. I was very sad, but, like, we never talked about it, you know? I just remember everything happening fast, and, you know, she still had to work and support us, so I remember, like, her, like, getting jobs here and there, running around, and we would be, we're so young, but we'd be home a lot by ourselves, and, um, I think there was a lot of, there was just a lot of sadness, and I don't think we all dealt with it properly, Mm -hmm. and, um, I don't know, I think that my mom also, like, resented my dad for, like, leaving her with 
two kids by herself, you know? So, um, I think she was really angry and, um, that came out a lot, but, um, so I think, yes, it did affect us a lot and I think a lot has changed from that. Um, and I think when you deal with something like that, it never really goes away. Yeah. So, um, you deal with it the rest of your life, but I mean, it's, it has gotten better, but it's definitely, it hasn't helped things. And I think that my mom and I have never really talked about like my dad or anything so I think she knows I guess how close I was to my dad and like she doesn't really know how to like talk to me about somebody that like left her but also is my dad yeah you know so yeah so I think there's something like that we haven't really put on the table yet so that's my best friend Grace And it's pretty clear to me that Grace and I are really different, but I think that's something that will become more evident in the final episode. You know, Grace and I didn't grow up in similar homes or towns, and we don't necessarily enjoy listening to the same type of music, but I think there's something deeper and more important that ultimately connects us, and it's the way that we see the world. In listening to Grace's passion for the participants in her research about injection drug users, I realized how similar her underlying perspective of people is to my own understanding, thus revealing the true purpose behind this very podcast. She says that no matter who you meet in life, you're already connected in so many ways to all the people you cross paths with every day. The catch is, however, that you have to bridge the gap between your different upbringings, opinions, and lifestyles in order to understand individuals on a more human level. What I found interesting about Grace's story was her eye-opening experience in Baltimore, the city where I grew up. Racism was never really an issue that I addressed because I feel like I associated with many kinds of different people in my childhood. It actually wasn't until I moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania for college that I saw what it really meant to feel other in an all-white community. So even though we understand each other's feelings of exclusion, the ways in which we experienced those feelings were very different. And I think the discomfort of not fitting in is something that a lot of people of color can relate to. My hope is that, despite your race, gender, or sexuality, hopefully you found something thought-provoking in Grace's story. Or maybe you found your own story similar to hers. Many times, we don't see our own lives as something interesting or worth telling someone about, but I believe otherwise. And so, if you liked this episode, please share this podcast with your friends. I think it's time that Asian American women got their chance to share their stories. My name is Samantha Chan, and thank you so much for listening to Not Your China Doll.